Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. It's obviously Memorial Day weekend, uh, and it goes without saying that we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to come here, to be able to meet freely. Uh, It's not the same for all of our brothers and sisters around the world. And so we are not flippantly, but very sincerely grateful for this, this opportunity this morning. So Adam's been talking in Philippians chapter 2 over the last couple weeks. Uh, first, we talked about Jesus as the perfect example of a servant, of a humble servant willing to do, obviously, whatever it takes for his mission, for his mission to reconcile us back to him. And then we read about Paul last week a lot, And we talked about how Paul, again, is a servant to look at, a humble servant, an example for us to follow. And, and, you know, Adam had three uh, major points last week, and and it's a continuation into this week. Our obedience to Christ leads us to grow in him. So we work out our salvations in fear and trembling. We seek daily, and we're sanctified daily, and move closer and closer in the image of Christ. As we grow in Christ, our light shines. We should be above reproach. As Christians, we should look very different than the rest of the world. And then finally, our light shines. We find joy in sacrifices. So it doesn't mean that we're just happy all the time, but it does mean that when we're called upon, that we're joyful in the sacrifice that God needs us to do for his glory. So sometimes we think, though, we have Jesus, this perfect example, this perfect person, and there's no way we can possibly look and use his example because it's just beyond us. We're already failed before we started. And so, okay, we look at Paul, this super apostle, this guy who has this incredible conversion on the road to Damascus, and we think, again, man, I just, Paul just seems even too unrelatable to us. Well, thankfully, the Spirit carried along Paul and gave him two more people that if we feel like Jesus is beyond us, Paul's beyond us, well, we have two more this morning that we can look at that Paul gave us, a Timothy and Epaphroditus, to look at as an example of how we can be humble servants for God. So the first one, Timothy, we'll read uh, 19 through 24 in chapter 2, and then we'll talk a little bit about who Timothy was. So I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also." So we'll stop there and let's talk a little bit about who Timothy was. So Timothy first appears, Acts 16. Paul had just started out on his second missionary journey. Picks up Timothy. And and just as a side note of who Timothy was, uh, 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul actually gives his mother and grandmother an accommodation for helping pour the foundation of this man's faith. And so just a reminder to grandparents, to parents out there, that the work you do to disciple your kids Uh, will go on 
hopefully way further generationally than you'll ever know. So Timothy, Greek father, Jewish mother, gets taken along with, with Paul. They get the Macedonia call. They decide to change directions, and they go to Philippi. And so the Philippians knew very much who, who Timothy was. They knew him personally. He was there at the inception of their church. And so all this to be said, second part of chapter nine, of verse 19, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. So Paul saying that he might be, some of your versions might even say the word encouraged by the news of you. So what did Paul want to hear from the Philippian church? He wanted to hear how the church was doing. He wanted to hear about conversions testimonies of how the church was reaching out into their community, salvations, baptisms. He wanted to hear about all these things. And I I just want to remind us, that's why we're here today. That's why we're in this room. That's why you just went to Sunday school wherever you came from. That's why you're in small groups. Because that's an an integral part of our Christian walk is that we should be spurring one another on. And there's, it's not just about getting filled up. It's about also filling up others, about sharing how Christ, how God is working in your lives and how it spurs us on. So you have to be walking with him, though, to have a testimony to share, though, right? And that, that's the mission wall out here. There's newsletters all on there, right? And that, that's a big part when we hear back from our partners. I mean, how many times have we gone to other places or gone and helped our partners and we think like I wonder what happened with this person or that person and then it might be months or weeks or years later you hear that that whole family came to Christ or that whole family was baptized or this happened or that happened and you think like wow what an encouragement that was it's the same idea here that's all Paul was wanting was some encouragement back from a church that he had planted to see how the people he personally knew were continuing to grow in the Lord. And so, you know, I have a, a good friend and colleague here, Jeremy Phillips, and, and he, he said something and he continues to say it over the last couple of years. But the goal is not to come in and sit down and look at the back of someone's head and then leave. Right. We don't want that. We want us to be in community and not just for the couple hours we're here in this building, but throughout the week, throughout your life, throughout the month, etc. So I encourage you to be encouraged and also encourage others that are here in our membership, in our in our Christian fellowship. So we also moving on, we see for I have no one like him, Paul referring to Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So first off, that expression that Paul uses there, no one like him, it's a key expression, and he literally means that. He means that Timothy was exceptional. I'm sorry, Luke. I'm sorry, John Mark. I'm sorry, Silas, Barnabas, you name it. Whoever traveled with, with Paul, Timothy was a notch above them. And Paul is calling out this accommodation to the Philippian church just to remind them of that. Furthermore, he genuinely concerned for your welfare. It sounds like Timothy genuinely loved his neighbor. Genuinely loved his neighbor. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that point in a, in a minute. Because he goes on to say, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. So we see this time and time again throughout Paul's letters, that there is always some type of faction or some type of group that was trying to use or leverage the gospel, the gospel for personal gain. We, we see that, that they were trying to use it for, for either 
notoriety or money, and, and it's really no different today. We see celebrity pastors do the same thing, and, and we hear of their moral failures, and nothing's changed. And Paul's saying that Timothy is not like that. He's not trying to just make a name for himself, and he'll speak to that character uh, in a couple verses. But he goes on to say, they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. So, so the obvious or the rational kind of mind would think, okay, so I'm not to live for my own interest. I want to live for the interest of Jesus Christ. How do I do that? How do I live for the interest of Jesus Christ? I understand I need to put my interests aside. So thankfully, we can look at Scripture to answer that. So you, you can flip if you want, or it'll be on the screen, uh, over to Matthew uh, 22. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Here, a lawyer uh, of the law is testing Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we see the first two things. If you want to live for the interest of Christ and put your own interest aside, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You'll love him with your complete being. The second is that you'll love your neighbor as yourself. So we see Timothy clearly loved his neighbor as himself. Paul calls that out. And we see in other letters that Paul wrote, to Timothy or about describing Timothy that he loved God with all of his being. And then we would add, not add to scripture, but we would just add that another way that you can live for the interest of Christ is that you would share his story, that you would share the gospel. So when we think about that, and he's going to mention about sharing the gospel here in a second, simply put, that just means that we as humanity have fallen. Sin has made us separated from God, but because of the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have now been reconciled back to a holy God. If you would just believe and profess that with your mouth. So we understand that we want to love God with all of our being. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then we want to share that story. And it's so hard. Adam always is saying, like, I'm, I'm first in line, right? If we really believe that God was who we say you are, why would we not love him with all of our being? Again, I'm first in line. How do I get distracted off that? If I really believe that God loves all, like in some of the lyrics of the songs we've sang this morning, how do I not love him, my neighbor? And then finally, if I really believe that the gospel is the good news that saves, why would I not want to share it more often? What else is distracting me from wanting to do those three things? So when we look at living out for the interests of Jesus Christ, it's a simple but very hard path to follow. And Jesus says this in himself over and over again. So moving on, though, verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Again, going back to the fact that they knew Timothy personally. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So a couple things, uh, starting back with Timothy, proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me. There's some key phrases in that second part of verse 22. First off, Timothy's proven worth 
it shows on his humility as well. It shows he is a son to a father. So there's this idea of being underneath or subordinate to Paul, but then there's a key phrase right after that. He served with me. He didn't serve for me. He served with me, unified in the same mission of what? The gospel, the third point that we just talked about. So we saw a couple weeks ago, beginning in chapter 2, starting in verse 2, complete my joy by being the same by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we understand that Timothy wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to be one-up Paul, have a bigger church, have a, a bigger following, have more disciples. He was just trying to make the interest of Christ known. And it's an interesting idea to pull out that as a son with a father, we know that Jesus, like was just described in verse 6, decided to do the same thing cast aside his own glory to make sure that the gospel was known. And he did that, and there's a picture of the, uni- of the Trinity there and the unification of the same mission because he did it with God, right? Jesus in one with the Father. And so in the same way, in a smaller picture, Timothy unified with Paul in like-mindedness. So it's a really beautiful picture of how that kind of mentality unfolds in between believers. And then furthermore, the, the last part of this section, obviously this is a letter. It was written for a specific purpose. Uh, part of that purpose was to communicate information back and forth. So verse 23 and 24, Paul is simply saying that he's on house arrest as he writes this letter. He's literally chained to a Roman soldier or guard uh, in Rome at the time. And so he's just saying, I don't know how it's going to go for me, as he referenced earlier uh, at the end of the the verses last week. I don't know how it's going to go for me. Once I know, though, I'm going to send Timothy back to you. So those verses are just summarizing that idea again. So the second example we have is Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus is a little different background than we see with Timothy. Epaphroditus, his name literally means in the dedication of Aphrodite. So the goddess of love, the goddess of luck, in the uh, Greek culture. So this guy was wholly pagan. He was raised in a pagan home, and he was not uh, raised. His grandparents didn't get accommodations for his faith or anything like that. But we see uh, how Paul considers him as well. So starting in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus, there's three descriptions right at the beginning that Paul gives him. First, my brother. You got to understand that Paul, probably three, four decades before he's writing this letter, he would have literally tried to cross the street to make sure he didn't walk by a guy like Epaphroditus. 
But here he counts him as a brother. So the first idea is that the gospel, and Paul's calling this out subtly, it unifies us. Whether race, gender, ethnicity, the list goes on, socioeconomic differences, whatever the case may be, the gospel is truly a unifying force. And Paul's just simply and quietly reminding us there. A fellow worker, similar to that of Timothy, he is working for the interest of Christ. He is unified in one mind with Paul in trying to make Christ known to all those that would hear it. And then the final, and and it's really, really special, obviously, fellow soldier. It's only ever mentioned one other place. Paul only accounts one other person to be a fellow soldier. And that's in uh, the second verse of Philemon. And, And we see what is he willing to do? He's willing to risk his life. That's what it said in verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking. So we understand that Epaphroditus was willing to put it all on the line. He was willing to put it all on the line. We remember that, obviously. uh, It's very obvious this weekend. But we are called to be soldiers of Christ. You know, I, I had a friend just say it the other night in a Bible study that we're not supposed to be couch potatoes for Christ, where it's not an apathetic faith. We're actually quite differently. All of these different descriptions, we're called to be active in our faith. We're called to go out there and do things. We're called to be in relationship and pray and know God as well. It's, it's not just one of those, we're just going to, oh yeah, we'll pray for that person. We'll pray for that person. We never do. We never do anything except just in name say we're Christians. And so he's really giving this guy an accommodation of showing how far Epaphroditus was willing to go for the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. He goes on uh, in verse 26, pretty much saying, again, these letters had specific examples to teach doctrine, but also to transfer information. He says uh, very briefly that you all have heard, obviously, that Epaphroditus was gravely ill. Praise the Lord, he's been healed. And he knows that you guys don't know that yet, so he's very eager to come back and tell you that. And so I'm going to send him back just as soon as I can, and when he gets back, you need to give him a hero's welcome. And so that, that finishes out chapter 2. And, and so when we, we think about, what, so what does this all mean for us? How is this relevant to us 2,000 years later? Simply, there, there's two main things. And first is that we should be in community with each other. You are an encouragement, and you are to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. And secondly, how are you living for the interest of Christ? We talked about loving the Lord with all of your being, and we talked about loving your neighbor as yourself, but how are we living for the interest of Christ? How can we also share the gospel as well? How often do we do that? How, do, how often do we get in conversations? And so the, the two main ideas are here are examples of regular guys, not super apostles, not the perfect savior, but regular guys that lived it out. And what's really awesome is that this morning, uh, here in a little bit, we're going to show a video of a couple from our own church that has prayed and is trying to seek out the interests of the Lord. And it's made very clear in their video that they have a heart for this. So as we enter into a, a time of, of not just offering uh, to the Lord, but, but the altar as well will be open, I really want to challenge our church. You know, how is God calling you? How can you be used? You know, is he calling you to some far-off, unreached, 
uncontacted, unengaged people group, or is he just calling you to love somebody you've deemed unlovable and just to go share the gospel with them here in our own community? Because we all have a very different but distinct calling. And so we want to make the interests of Christ known. We want to make sure that he, first and foremost, is getting all the praise, including whether it's, uh, it's us individually or this church as a whole. So as we enter into this time, first we're going to watch the video, but then after that we'll immediately enter into the, the time at the altar. And I just want us to really reflect and take a few minutes to pray on that, especially this weekend as well, uh, how God is calling you. So.